Um, we're coming to, uh, we've been going through John chapters 13 to 17 in that upper room experience. Um, the upper room, remember uh, this is the last 24 hours of Jesus' life as, they, as, as the disciples were invited in the upper room. And uh, we've seen um, in the last two weeks the, the emotion and the, the, the difficulty that the disciples have, have faced. Um, because there are moments, isn't there? I'm sure you've uh, you've known it. Uh, there, there's those. Sometimes you hit, you hit with good news, you hit with wonderful news, and sometimes you just feel like it's overwhelming. You are completely overwhelmed. Uh, your senses cannot take any more. I can think of things like birth of a baby or marriage, or news that the war has ended. In previous generations, we've seen pictures of, of dancing in the streets and the, the joy and the happiness. Psalm 126 is that type of experience, which I have here. Good. Things like, uh, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Can you imagine that? They, they'd been in um, Babylon, they'd been brought back to Jerusalem, and like those who dream, our mouths were filled with laughter, our, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them, the Lord has done great things for us, and we were filled with joy. I do hope that you've had some sort of experience where you've just been overwhelmed with great joy. Because the flip side of that, of course, is that there are times when we we're confronted with news of great sorrow. And it's, again, like entering a dream state, but it's not from joy, is it? It is from terrible fear. People have been known to pass out to faint when they've heard that devastating news. Um, I, I think it's just that sometimes our, our mind, our bodies, we can't cope with this news and so we just shut down. Perhaps losing your job after many years of faithful service. A spouse says to you, I don't want to be married anymore. The news of a sudden death of a loved one are all news that hits you physically and you are just in a dreamlike state. We are with the disciples in this upper room the Last Supper is happening. Jesus has already washed the feet of his disciples um, as an example for them. They, they've eaten the Passover meal together. And I'm sure that they were very aware of the, the tension in that room. Um, have you ever been into, you walked into a room and you, all of a sudden you sense there's tension? We, we talk about it, you cut it like a knife. Like we have the sense of this tension that is overwhelming. And I'm sure that was here because there's already been one bombshell has been dropped. One person would betray Jesus. One of the 12, those who had been with him all those years, was going to betray Jesus. It must have been one of those terrible news that I can't believe, because for three years these 12 have been following Jesus, they've had experiences like no one in history has ever had, and yet they discover that one of their beloved friends is going to actually betray Jesus. Jesus uh, 
Judas went into the, into the darkness. Um, then Jesus dropped another bombshell, didn't he? My children, I'll be with you only a little while longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I'm going, you cannot go. Simon Peter asked, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I'm going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Can you hear Peter's tensions, the, the words? Lord, where are you going? It could almost be a frantic statement. Where are you going? I don't understand. Jesus was the man who was, he was devoted to. He was the hope of Israel. He saw the, the Jesus raise people from the dead. But lately he's been talking about his imminent death. He's been talking dark stuff lately. Jesus, where, where are you going? Then we have these famous words of Jesus. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Do you ever think about why Jesus said this to them? Why did Jesus say, do not let your hearts be troubled? And the answer is, because they were terribly troubled. They were devastated. They're, being, they're consumed with fear. Of course, it was necessary uh, to say that because the whole world has been rocked upside down. They're, they've They've lost their hopes and their dreams. They've been up so much the last three months. They've followed Jesus. And now Jesus says, I'm going to go away. But do not let your hearts be troubled. And I don't know if you've ever experienced high anxiety, but when you're in high anxiety mode, your brain functions differently. You can't take in news. You can't be creative. You can't think about different options. We have an, a, a, our ability to make wise choices has been diminished because things are running around in my brain in ways that I just cannot control. So much so that for Peter, he makes, well, there's no spoiler alert here, later on he's going to get a sword and cut off the ear of one of the servants. That's how poor Peter's thinking is. He's actually somewhere at this moment, he's got a sword somewhere which he's going to use to cut someone's ear off, to try to, I guess, kill them. What brought this grief on was the idea that Jesus was no longer going to be with them. He was going to be distance. And when we feel distance from those that we love, we feel anxious. When we feel distance from God, we feel anxious. And then Jesus says something so remarkable that uh, it's so easy for us to overlook. He says, you believe in God. Yes, they're good Jewish people. Believe also in me. Now you and I might read over that. If you read that a few times, you might read over and just sort of washes over us. But think about what Jesus is saying. Belief in in God was the very centre of the Jewish nation. The, the, the belief that God was the creator, that he created all things, that God called Abraham, that 
He saved Abraham and he saved Isaac and he saved Jacob and, and actually the, raised up Moses to save Israel and they parted the Red Sea, believed in, in God. Of course they believed in God. They believed in God who gave them the, 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 the covenant. They believed in God who, who saved Israel time and time again. They believed in God who took them to Babylon, that restored them. Of course they believed in God and Jesus is saying, in the same way as you believe in God, you believe in me. Now that's a statement that for the first century Jew is astounding. And really for our ears, we, we, don't, we don't truly comprehend what he's saying. Really what Jesus is saying is, I'm going to go away. I know you're going to be an emotional wreck you're going to have high anxiety. But think about the way your ancestors trusted God. I want you to trust me in the same way. I want to... That tells us something about who Jesus is. Jesus is this, uh, this remarkable man. They saw a man, remember? They saw a man who did remarkable things. But they're learning something about Jesus here that he that John would reflect over on for the next 50 years this when John wrote this is about 40 to 50 years after the event so he's had some time to think about this and we see it in places like um, John chapter 5 verse 16 do you remember when uh, Jesus uh, healed the man at the pool named the shepherd gate he he told that man to pick up his mat and walk and so chapter 5, verse 16, so because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defence, Jesus said, my father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him, not only because he was breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making him equal with God. Do you see... Now, for us, if I call God my Father, I, you don't think I'm trying to make myself equal with God. But that's exactly what the Jews heard in their culture, in their understanding. To call God my Father in heaven is to give me a right as the Son of the Father. It's making myself equal with God. So much so that we see that they actually try to kill him because of it. And so the church for the last 2,000 years has been struggling with this understanding. What does it mean for God to be the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit? Now we use words like Trinity, don't we? Um, and sometimes we think if we can name it, we understand it. But truly... We don't understand it. We take the words of Scripture and we're confronted with these truths that somehow God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit are one. And what we're doing is seeing here and what we're, Jesus is saying to his disciples is, you trust God, trust me, I'm one with the Father. I think three things I want to point out to you today. Jesus said, believe I am with the Father, believe I am in the Father, and believe I will glorify the Father. 
Believe I am with the Father. Verse 2 of chapter 14 says, My Father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that? I'm going to prepare a place for you, but I'm, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also will be where I am. You know the place to where I'm going. Thomas said, Lord, we do. can you hear the desperation? Lord, Lord, we, Lord we, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is the passage I will probably read at every funeral that I have, every funeral I take, I will read this passage. But you know what? It's not answering the question to the disciples, what is going to happen after I die? That's not the point of this. This was an answer to their anxieties because Jesus is now going to be with the Father, doing the Father's business, preparing things that will be revealed, establishing a relationship between us and God, the Father in heaven. True humanity means a relationship of love with God, our creator. And now you and I can be, uh, know, you and I know the one who is with the Father. You and I know the one who is in the right-hand side of the Father. You and I know and relate with Jesus who is with the Father. We have access to God the Father. So the answer to your troubled heart is to draw near to Jesus. Have you had a troubled heart lately? I know I have. I've struggled with different anxieties and stresses. What's the answer for me? Is it to worry about that or to draw near to Jesus? Because Jesus is with the Father. It's almost like Jesus wants to say the same thing in a different way. He says, believe I am in the Father. Verse 7. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. And from now on you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father. That'll be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been with you for such a long time? Anyone who has seen me, seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak of my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is, saying, who is doing this work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe the evidence of the work themselves. Now, no one blames Philip here, do they? Except Jesus. Jesus, who had been with them, though they'd been with them, they'd seen the things. And all that Jesus did reflected perfectly what he saw his Father in heaven doing. He was truly the, the Son the radiance of God's glory. Again, it's taken us, takes us two millennium, 2,000 years, and, and we're still trying to grasp what this means. But what we do know is that the, the unity the, the, of the Godhead, the, the community of love, is very real. And the amazing thing for me is that, that we've got the Godhead, this community of love, and we, you and I, are invited into that community as children of God. Well, 
Um, feeling distant from God, feeling distant from Jesus, is probably the thing that is going to cause us the most anxiety. I've often asked people, how do you feel God's hug? Okay? Not God's love. God's hug. Because love is a very real thing. It, it, it is a physical thing. And sometimes we just want that hug to show love. How do you... How are you aware of God's love in your life? And I would love for you to think about this and talk about this later on. How do you feel God's love in your life? There was a book uh, a while back called The Five Languages of Love, recognising that people express and receive love in different ways. And it's good for us to understand that we will probably receive God's love in different ways. But I just hope... Everyone here somehow feels the love of God in some way, in some way that you actually feel it, sense it, aware of it. How does God hug you? Let me share how God physically hugs me. Because the word for spirit and wind and breath in the Hebrew and the Greek is ruach or pneuma. At a creation, we see the wind above the waters and we see God creates Adam and then what does he do? He blows the breath of life into, his, into this clay model and there is life, he becomes a living flesh. I was just uh, reminded just this week that, uh, that I actually I feel God's love when I feel a breath or a draft, a wind. It reminds me it just reminds me of how loved I am of God. Because God is spirit, he's wind, he's, he's breath. It's stressful times when you know, you're in a room and uh, there's no breath, there's no, there's no wind. Actually, I, I found that I can actually hold my hand up here and blow on my hand to remind myself, you know what, I'm loved of God. Because I need a physical reminder I need to feel the love of God. And I'm just reminding myself that God is closer than my very breath at those times. God is closer to me than my very breath. That's one way I remind myself of the love of God. Because we need intimacy with God. We need it. We can't go around with just an intellectual faith. We need intimacy with the true living God. Third thing, God, believe I am, will glorify the Father. Verse 12, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may glor be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. God the Father is glorified in the Son. So when the Father is glorified, the Son is glorified. And as we go through these chapters, we're going to find this in an amazing way repeated a time and time again. If the Father is glorified in the Son and the Son is glorified in the Father, let's think about this. If, if the Father is glorified in the Son and the Son is glorified in the Father, where are we found? We are found in the Son. So somehow we're a part of this. 
this is, blows my mind that somehow that we have a share in the glory of God because we are found in Christ and Christ is found in us. There is a profound mystery here, isn't there? A profound mystery, a remarkable truth that we could probably take another 2,000 years trying to discover what that means. So much so that Jesus says, if you ask in my name, I will give you what you ask if it's glorifying the, if it's glorifying the Father. So if you ask Jesus in Jesus' name to win a Porsche or to win Lotto and it will bring glory to the Father, you know what, you're going to get it. But the problem is that every other selfish heart out there is praying, God, give me the Lotto or give me a Porsche, isn't it? Like, you know, how could that glorify God? But if you ask God, can you give me, can you give me the, the patience, the, the, can you give me the heart to enter into the struggle and bring glory to you, even though I'm scared, I'm frightened? He will give you what he asked, you ask for, and it will bring glory to God. I think it gets down to our heart motive. If you seek a deep intimacy with God, a deeper relationship with God our Father, it's going to be yours. You ask and you will receive that deep intimacy with God. It's not going to be easy, but we're trusting. It won't come by coming to church for an hour and a quarter and then going home, will it? We, uh, we, we, we want to be more than just people who play the, some sort of Christian game, religious game. We're about a relationship with God the Father, not, a, not some sort of religion. So I want you to take a look at this again. Jesus said, do not let your hearts be troubled. He said, believe I am the Father. It's the way to God. Believe I am in, I'm in the Father. It talks about intimacy with God. Believe I will glorify the, God, the Father, so, so ask in my name. What do you need today from God? What do you need so that your heart will be not troubled? I want you to think about it, and uh, I'm going to pray. And uh, I'd love for you to sort of ask God your Father in heaven, for what you need at this moment, in this week, in this part of your life, in this struggle. Let's pray. And Father, we want to believe Jesus who said, do not let your hearts be troubled. And you know the troubled hearts here, Lord. Um, you know the troubled hearts. For some of us, we're not sure about the way to go. For some of us, we just hunger for intimacy, but we don't understand it's intimacy with you. Lord, some of us have got things to ask, but we're frightened because we don't know, we don't trust that we'll be answered. We can't trust you. 
Lord Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. Father, we pray that you would help us to to trust in you. Uh, despite all that we despite all that we struggle and the hearts, uh, the things that, that press in on us. Lord, I pray you'd help us to trust you and the Father. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.